Hi, my name is Ian Khan, and you're listening to the Innovation Times Podcast. I am a technology author, speaker, and an advocate for everything good that technology brings. A part of my work is running the Innovation Times Podcast and bringing together people from various aspects of the industry and talk about how technology is affecting the way that they perform their jobs, their functions, and how they're leading their organizations to change that's propelled by technology. As part of my podcast, I interview people from all segments of the industry and different verticals as well. Welcome to Innovation Times. Hi, this is Ian Khan from Innovation Times, and today I have a very exciting guest here um, on, on our podcast. Uh, Dr. Joseph Quedar is uh, the director of Center of Connected Health at Partners Healthcare. Uh, he's an innovator and a leader uh, in the field of uh, telehealth, and we're so glad to have him on board today. Dr. Quedar, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to be with you. Now, you are really a pioneer when it comes to telemedicine, when it comes to connected health. And uh, really, there's a tremendous amount of work uh, and initiatives that you're part of uh, uh, today and, you know, really driving change within the industry. You also have, uh, you know, a lot of publications to your name. You also have a new book that I'd love to ask you uh, a little bit about. But tell us, tell us what's your journey been of connected health in, in the past, uh, you know, few decades of your work. How have you seen the industry move from, uh, you know, uh, being at its infancy to being where it is right now with all the emerging technologies uh, that are that are really changing the landscape. Well, again, it's great to be uh, with you today and talk about uh, these fascinating and exciting developments. I am a dermatologist by training. I trained uh, here in the Harvard system in the uh, uh, mid-'80s, and then uh, at that time was interested in, in uh, laboratory science. So I spent the first five years after my residency in a laboratory, and then uh, in uh, the early 90s, say 92, 93, I had a, a bit of a career crisis and decided I wanted to do something else. And while I was searching for other things to do, I really stumbled into a project uh, where we were looking at the uh, utility of digital images in, in dermatology, which at the time was very much cutting-edge thinking. And uh, lo and behold, one day it, it just occurred to me that we were missing a, a whole different way of providing care and, and a new care model, which meant that we shouldn't have to insist that for you to get health care, you have to come to a physical space, meet a, a doctor in person. That's the only, was the only care delivery model we had at the time. And I thought that seemed very silly that we should be doing things in a time and place independent manner. And I've never really looked back after that. Uh, in, of course, we're still uh, pursuing that dream. I'd say uh, if we look at it very objectively, uh, less than 1% of care across the world is probably delivered in this way, so we have a long ways to go. Not, of course, that we ever want to hit 100%, but we want to get somewhere where, like other industries, that there's a robust set of services delivered in a routine manner for healthcare that's done time and place uh, independent. Along the way, absolutely, you're right that the technologies have made it easier and easier and easier for us. The 
in the beginning, the, the reason that, that digital imaging was uh, was considered cutting edge was because the images we captured were less than one megapixel. The camera cost $12,000. We had these little uh, optical disks to store them on. We didn't have hard drives bigger than 130 megabytes, et cetera, et cetera. And for video conferencing in those days, we would string three uh, special phone lines, ISDN for, for those who don't remember that term, and, and uh, $60,000 codecs on each side. So the world has gotten amazingly better. Now in the palm of your hand, you have video, you have image capture, you have the network, you have the computing, uh, et cetera, and all for uh, the cost of your, your smartphone. So technology keeps marching on uh, and healthcare delivery keeps playing catch up and that's the fun game that we're in. It's amazing. Now, you know, you mentioned uh, the older the older phone systems and I still remember the times of, uh, you know, the BBC Micro and, you know, those, those five and a half inch floppy disks that, that we used to have. And, and really, if you look at it, the last 20 years, the last 20 years plus have been a remarkable time. And, and we are in that age and, and time where change and innovation and technology is just growing in, in such a, I wouldn't say fast, at a fast pace, but at such an incredible uh, pace of being able to create value. Um, and uh, we're able to do so much more. Uh, the children of today have supercomputers in their hands. Imagine what they will have uh, 20 years from now or even 10 years from now. So that really boggles my mind. Uh, you mentioned 1% of care across the world is, uh, is you know, probably being offered through remote medicine, telemedicine. Now, for communities that are underprivileged, that do not have access to resources, this should tremendously impact the way uh, they, uh, you know, they get even basic health care. Yes, it, it, and I think for uh, uh, excluding the developing world where it's, uh, it's very much a patchwork, but in the U.S. and Canada, I would say uh, rural communities have disproportionately adopted telehealth because it, for the reason you mentioned, that the availability of uh, super specialized healthcare, uh, which exists in urban areas, did not exist in those areas. And there are a number of politicians in both countries over the last 20 years who have felt strongly that their constituents should have access to high quality care wherever their geography is. Now, I happen to read in the Wall Street Journal this morning about uh, pockets in the U.S. that are still uh, on dial-up uh, for their internet access. So it's certainly not universal, and I don't mean to imply that. But uh, there's a, a lot of there's been a lot of effort in the U.S. and I know Canada is actually I think ahead of us on this in the past 20 years to create rural networks of care using telehealth. Uh, so I see a lot of uh, excitement around that, and I think that's a perfect place to start. I also know that there's plenty of urban uh, applications, and we're not fully realizing those uh, yet. So there's also plenty of, of room to grow. Now you talk about three three trends, and um, you know you talk about personalized medicine, you talk about uh, connected health, and payment reform. Um, tell us a little bit more about how we tie in payment reform to to medicine uh, and and connected health. Well, in, in the U.S., and that's 
my main perspective, but I think this can be extended to to uh, one of the reasons I think, for instance, Canada is ahead is because there's a centralized mechanism for uh, for both deciding payments structures and and uh, dispensing uh, payment. But in in any case, the older notion that the way you should pay a healthcare provider, be it a hospital or a doctor, is through services rendered, um, it seems to really be falling by the wayside. That uh, Because what that does, and we've all witnessed it, and it's pretty mainstream thinking now, what that does is it extends, or rather it encourages the healthcare provider to do more because they get paid when they do something. So they want to do more. It's human nature that we all want to make a living and, and organizations go that way. The newer payment models are based on outcomes and quality. And in those payment models, you get paid not necessarily for doing more, but doing the right thing for the right patient. So that enables us to get excited about uh, data analytics that help us to find the right patients that need our help the most and enables us to think about virtual care because that can be more efficient. So why would I ask you to come into the office to check your blood pressure every three months and we can measure it three or four times a week in your home remotely and you don't need to come to the office at all if I know you're doing well? Uh, in, in a fee-for-service world, why would I do that? Because coming to the office allows me to ring the cash register, whereas in a value-based payment world, keeping you healthy at home allows me to ring the same cash register. So there's a tremendous opportunity as we move to these value-based payment schemes to utilize both telehealth and remote monitoring and patient engagement and apps and all of those digital health tools because they enable us to spread our healthcare providers across more consumers, more patients, which is how providers will end up being financially successful in this new world. So it's a tremendous way of increasing adoption of connected health. And we've seen it in our own system uh, here in Boston where doctors that for years were very skeptical of any of these care delivery mechanisms have been much more open to them as we changed from a fee-for-service to a value-based way of thinking. I was, uh, I was at a uh, healthcare conference just last week with uh, with with insurance providers and uh, you know the the topic of discussion rightly as you said is you know it's there's a lot of interest on how do you change you know the lifestyle of your you know now they are consumers the healthcare consumers in order to have those different outcomes and and this you know the 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 fee for service model is definitely something in you know in light of uh, medicaid medicare obamacare there's just a lot of legislative changes that have taken place generally over you know over the past few years in the United States so uh, you know I can tell from my experiences last week that uh, insurance providers are looking at newer models they want uh, more stability in their businesses in order to you know cater to that demand over a long period of time rather than you know feel the shocks of every small change in legislation um, that they see with the uh, new government now the Internet of Things is 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 so interesting, and your book, the Internet of uh, uh, the Internet of Health, uh, is is uh, sorry, the Internet of Healthy Things uh, is is an exciting take, and I and I love the title 
is so exciting in the time of uh, connectivity, in the time of uh, you know wearables where we all are potentially can wear these devices on our hands and measure our blood heart rates, and we can wear shoes that'll send those uh, that information to to a central system. How does all that tie together? How how do you see the future of uh, you know healthy things? How how can we interact with that? Uh, well, I take a lot of lessons learned from the retail industry and how they have used Internet of Things applications to change our lives. When I published the book, Internet of Things was kind of a new topic, so we got a lot of traction early on because of that. We still get robust pickup of the book, but things have changed in a year in such dramatic ways already. And for instance, the Amazon uh, Echo was not a, a, a living room or kitchen appliance when I published, and now that is. So everyone understands fundamentally what an IoT application is. The Nest thermostat is another one that was just starting to get traction when we published. People now understand that you can put a thermostat in your home that communicates with the internet, that communicates with weather, that learns from your behavior, and uh, those are all IoT phenomena. So that makes it fun to talk about how our health might change. And if you can imagine all of the data that you generate on a daily basis, either just through your use of your mobile device or if you're in the wearables space, collecting things like activity or weight or blood pressure or uh, sleep habits or what have you, all of those data can be used to create a unique profile of you. And that's the, the value that the things bring. They bring value in two ways, the connected things and the Internet of Things. One is the feedback loops that they generate help keep your health behaviors top of mind. If you hadn't thought about your activity uh, level much and then you start to measure it using a wearable, you learn very quickly, usually because most of us are sedentary, how inactive you are and maybe you want to change that. And uh, uh, I like to say that uh, the, the sensors component of this is, is really about helping our bodies with the things that we evolve not to feel, whether it be high blood pressure or inactivity or blood sugar, what, any of those we can now uh, assess using sensors that uh, somehow that's how we evolved. If, if high blood pressure was like a broken arm, we'd have a completely different conversation. So there's all the data coming in, and then there's a middle layer of analytics that take it all and normalize it and, and make sense of it so that we can create that unique profile of you at, at a point in time and at a point in your life. We know not just your physiologic data, but there's companies out there that can now uh, do, uh, uh, based on voice tone, they can, they can predict your mood. There's companies that can do facial recognition and predict things about you. There's incredible applications of anything coming off of your person or off of your phone can be turned back into a stream of data that we can use to predict your health. And of course, not to ignore all the genetic information that's coming out of that world as well. And then finally, using that uh, unique persona of you in the moment at, at time to become a a fulcrum for engagement, for inspiring you to change your health using those same feedback loops and 
giving you constant uh, uh, messaging and, and, and ways of keeping connected that are motivating to you and personalized to you in order for you to take charge of your own health and move your own health forward. That's the vision, and we're starting to see bits of it come up in, in the industry. I mentioned some of the uh, aspects of the things. Uh, uh, companies like United Health Group now rewarding uh, individuals for walking uh, certain, like uh, they have an activity program where they measure four different kinds of activity, and you can earn up to four dollars a day in your health savings account if you achieve those goals. So there's really a lot of interesting innovation going on around how we use IoT to improve care. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, the more you think about it, uh, there's there's so many questions that arise out of, out of this. There's the confusion about big data and what does the big data do. But from a consumer point of view, um, you know, the question that arises is, okay, are computers taking over my life? And you know, is my information going to be all over the internet? I think there's there's a lot of confusion still, not just around telemedicine or or this or the healthcare side of things, but overall the technology. Um, and I think uh, you know, there's there's a genuine right for everybody to know what their privileges are, what their rights are with their information, uh, you know, being passed on from provider to uh, you know caretakers and so on and so forth. Um, how would you uh, recommend that anybody who wants to get started with this, you know, with making technology a part of their lifestyle with, so that they can have more value out of it uh, and not replace uh, good habits with just technology and, and hope the wearable can make you run faster? But I think they also need to make that effort to have a conscious and healthy lifestyle. How would you recommend uh, that in an, an average person get started with this revolution of the Internet of Things, wearables, and, and using technology to enhance their lifestyle. Can, should they should they buy, uh, you know, uh, a risk, you know, the you know, a, a Fitbit or or something like that? How can we get started? Well, I I, I think so. It depends on what motivates you. Um, the the way to start is to is to introspect on what motivates you. I'll tell you another story. As I mentioned, I. A dermatologist, I still see patients a half day a week, enjoy it tremendously. And as a dermatologist, I see a lot of healthy individuals, uh, and a number of them have these things dangling from their wrists. So I can't help, because of the other part of my life, I can't help but ask them about them. And almost every single one of them is in a competition with a loved one or somewhere at work or something. So that's just an interesting point. I think uh, what I wouldn't recommend is to buy the Fitbit if you're not self-motivated to be more active because it will wind up in the drawer. But if you have a, a, a spouse or a family member or a companion at work and you want to do a competition, that's a great way to get started because there's that little extra motivation that most people find of wanting to win. There are websites for others, people who are more introspective or don't really want to compete there are websites you can sign up to, for instance, where you can track activity and uh, donate to charities based on your um, achievements. And some people like that. Walgreens uh, will let you hook your app to their, uh, sorry, your wearable to their app, and they will give you in-store credit for being more active. So if, if you like the idea of achieving uh, discounts at a place like Walgreens, you can do that. You really have to First, think about what is going to motivate you 
to be more active and then plug the tracker into that scenario rather than just get the tracker and then again it gets up it winds up in the drawer in a few weeks because there's no motivational overlay to the program. That's an excellent point and and I I, I wear a Fitbit. I have some technology around uh you know my house. I have the Nest thermostat and and, and a few other things. It, these things definitely make life easier. You know, you get you get more access to information, but you also become lazy. Uh, and and it's I think it's about how you use technology to do what and what results you want in the end. But you know what I I, I think there's no alternative to having good habits, having a, a healthy lifestyle that that promotes uh, health uh, overall. And then you can definitely use uh, technology to 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 change things. Uh, I know we're short on time, and uh, we're just going to conclude uh, the interview here now as, uh, you know, we're running out of time. Uh, last words of advice given, you know, the, the change of the revolution to IoT, um, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, blockchain technology. There's just way too much going on. Um, what direction should we invest in in terms of finding the next piece of innovation. What technology do you think has the maximum potential of succeeding, or what combination of technologies do you think should we keep an eye on uh, for for the next uh, few years? So I I give you two examples. You're you're right. I I for instance don't know enough about blockchain to to render a judgment on on that. But but I would say. Uh, the class of wearables that's coming through that gives insights rather than just a number is very interesting. Companies like Spire, Muse, uh, others, uh, when are, they're, they're measuring something that's quite boring, but what they report out to you is, is an insight. I think that's an interesting trend. And then the artificial intelligence, although it's so trendy to say artificial intelligence. We used to say big data, then we said machine learning. Now we say AI. It's kind of all uh, the same. But the evolution in that space is really important, and it is and will do everything as promised. So I would say get over the fear that it's going to be a sinister implementation. We'll always have and need human beings. We're not going to be like the film Ex Machina uh, or Blade Runner. Um, and the flip side is uh, artificial intelligence can do already today, most of what we as human beings do poorly can do very well for us and free us up to do the things that we as humans uh, can do better. In the case of my job, Artificial intelligence should free me up to take care of you with emphasis on the term care as opposed to type into a screen instead of looking at you when you're in the office or spend my time worrying about whether I remember the drug interactions. All that should go on in the background, which should enable me to interact with you in a very human way to help uh, you move your health in the right direction. Dr. Quiller, it's been a wonderful chatting with you. Where can our listeners find more information about you, your work, your book? Uh, is there a URL or a website? Well, we have uh, uh, probably the easiest one is the Internet of Healthy Things, all, all spelled out, the internetofhealthythings.com. Uh, that has links to the book, that has links to our uh, Connected Health website, has links to my blog, which is the other thing to search is C-Health blog, C-H-E-L-T-H, C-Health blog. 
uh, will get you to my blog, which has links to everything as well. That's been an amazing conversation here with uh, Dr. Joseph Quadar. Dr. Quadar, thank you so much for giving us these insights. And, you know, we hope to chat with you soon and, uh, and, and learn more about some of the things, exciting things that you're working on. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time. If you're confused about the current state of technology and the impact that it has on the world, then you are at the right place. My name is Ian Khan. I'm an author and a technology speaker who focuses on the value created in the current world. I talk about ideas, thoughts, and value creation in general that helps us propel ourselves into a future that's driven by technology. The Internet of Things, blockchain, artificial intelligence, cloud are all means to create value. Technology in general is an enabler for positive business outcomes. If you're confused about the outcomes that technology can create for you, then you're at the right place. For more information, you can always visit me on my website at www.iancon.com or follow me on social media on Twitter at IanConLive. Let's change the future by creating a value, nothing else. Let's just change the future by creating more value. That's what I stand for, and that's my message. Just when you fall.